welcome to episode 99 of Positive Regression, a motorsports analytics podcast. I'm Alan Cabana, joined as always by David Smith. On this episode, the first peer scores for the year are in. We'll tell you who is performing, who is surprising, and which Penske driver needs to start stepping it up. That plus our Talladega preview that analyzes how to avoid the big one. But first, as always, this is episode 99 of Positive Regression. This is the Carl Edwards edition. David, this is a strange one for me. We are getting, you, both you and I, we're getting to the age where we can remember the beginning and end now of athletes' careers. And Carl certainly falls into that for really strange reasons, obviously, because I started my TV career in 2004, graduated college, moved out to Joplin, Missouri, and I remember being there at the Kansas race for his first partial cup season, 2004. He drove the 99 car. I almost guarantee I interviewed him because that would have been his kind of hometown race. So I interviewed him that weekend. And then, lo and behold, I was there for his long journey when he walked from his crash car at Homestead all the way to the care center in 2016. And I interviewed him then after that, what turned out to be his final race. Carl Edwards, a talented, memorable driver. He tied for a title, David. I mean, who does that, right? <laughs> but the tiebreaker, he lost. He had the best car in that 2016 race. And then he walked away from it all, creating something of a legend on the way out. Where do you want to start with Carl Edwards? <laughs> uh, you said the word strange twice. I picked up on that. Uh, I have in my notes peculiar. And I think on and off the track for me, I think he was truly one peculiar individual. I think from just a personal aspect, I think he shielded a lot of his private life uh, from us. I don't know that we actually saw the real Carl, but Alan, the things that we could quantify were also really weird. He might've been, at least in the loop data era, the original clean air specialist. And I wrote about Carl last year for The Athletic uh, around the time he was placed on the Hall of Fame ballot, uh, the NASCAR Hall of Fame. Everything he did in his career could be linked back to the speed of his race car. And in effect, he was speed dependent. If he had a fast car, he somehow exceeded expectations. And that's that sounds easy. Trust me, it's hard to do. In 2008, he had that nine-win season. It was the fastest car in the sport, that number 99 Ford for Roush Racing. And he ranked first in peer with a 4.5 rating. And that actually was the best production rating for the subsequent 10-year stretch until Kevin Harvick and Kyle Busch both surpassed it in 2018. The common denominator between those three guys, Alan, none of them won the championship in those uh, high peer years. Uh, but, but that 2008 season for Carl, it was followed coincidentally by a 70 race winless streak, which is nearly, uh, two seasons long. Uh, the, the season following, uh, that, that big year, his speed rank dipped to eighth. His peer ranking fell to 15th, uh, and he did rank first one more time in peer uh, in 2011, the year that he effectively tied for the championship. He had the third fastest car and a production rating of 3.44. As I said, clean air specialist. Why I say that is because traffic, dirty air, whatever you want to call it, were unbearable adversaries to this guy. He lacked any sophistication in his passing ability, both in terms of efficiency and abundance. From 2014 through 2016, his ranking in the Cup Series in surplus passing value for each of those seasons was 28th, 41st, and 39th. Whoa. His combined three-year surplus adjusted pass differential was negative 461 positions. Alan, I present to you maybe the most maddening statistical oddity that I can come up with. When he was good, he was great. 
when he lacked for speed, he was invisible. That was the Carl Edwards experience. Interesting stuff. And to put a statistical and analytical uh, look back on his career, because we, we just we really focus on how it ended, right? And not what could have been. He would have been just coming off his age 39 season, David. And I just wonder what could have been had he had the speed, right? I mean, he walked away from a Joe Gibbs racing car that has uh, that has been consistently good for the last few years, right? I mean, the speed would have been there. And you just said with a car with speed and, you know, half fast car under him, uh, he could have been lights out. And I just wonder what could have been sometimes. So that's the part that that I regret not seeing, right? We, we, we didn't see that age 39 statistical peak or where he would be, uh, shortly thereafter. And we think of a lot of older drivers adjusting to the drivers that they are at that age. Uh, we talked about that on, uh, episode 88, uh, and then previously on another episode about Dale Jarrett, uh, really digging into the mechanics of the car, sort of not Buying into his own hype, trusting his own ability, uh, that was his admission, and he just became a smarter racer. And in that sense, you know, I don't, we can't just assume that Carl was going to go down that path. But if you recall, in that 2016 race, uh, he, he, he was uh, essentially trying to block Joey Logano coming from the inside. It, it didn't pan out. He was, Pretty optimistic, I would say. I mean, I, or, or, or realistic, I think is maybe the better word. His, his quote, I just pushed the issue as far as I could because I figured that was the race there. Joey just timed it perfectly. He moved down. I was probably a little optimistic, but I thought I could clear him or force him to lift. It sounds as if he was sort of down on his ability. Had Logano gotten by, uh, that would have been the race and, and maybe he was right. Maybe he didn't trust his own passing ability. Uh, maybe more realistic than we thought, but we never really cracked that, uh, that big shell of his, but I guess we'll never know. You know, what, what could he have transformed into, into his later years during his statistical peak? We missed out on seeing that, but he left us with a lot to chew on, a lot of highlights. Uh, certainly an, an interesting entrance and exit to his career. Yeah, uh, just so many questions. What could have been? And David, something analytics can never measure is his ability to plug a sponsor. Carl Edwards should be a Hall of Famer just for that. And David, one story I'll tell is the, the numerous opportunities I had to interview him. Uh, you know how we see drivers with their sunglasses on and then they'll get complimented, if you will, if they kind of take their sunglasses off for the interviewer, you know, when they start answering the question. Car, it, it could be a cloudy day. And this ha- I, I watched this happen. It was a cloudy day. He didn't even have sunglasses on. But before the interview started, he put the sunglasses on just so he could take them off at the beginning of the interview. That's how smooth he was with his sponsorship plugs. And I will never forget how good he is. I, I implore young drivers to go back and listen to Carl Edwards because he was so talented at that. I do recall him extolling the virtues of avocado as a superfood at Subway. <laughs> yes. And it, it was during, it was during some press conference and I, I just remember thinking like, what, what am I even listening to? But yeah, you're right. Uh, certainly the, the model pitchman for, uh, a pretty, a, a long string of sponsors actually. Yeah. And look, I, we, I, I never want to make this segment too long, but it's Carl Edwards. I mean, we just have to say since he's stopped racing, I mean, look, God bless. He's not dead. Like he, he still shows up, right? He was just on race sub, but there's something to a myth to him, David. There's a Paul Bunyan like quality. Sometimes you hear about Carl Edwards, like, uh, like he may or may not have sailed across the Atlantic. Maybe it was alone. Maybe it was on a pontoon. Maybe none of that's true. Maybe part of it's true, but you want to believe it just a little bit. Right in the winter, someone wrecked their car and went off in a ditch. Maybe Carl helped rescue them or pull their car out, or maybe he lifted the car off them and totally rescued them. I mean, these little tidbits that you hear about what he's been up to, you don't know what to believe, but you never know. It could be true. And that's what Carl Edwards is up to right now. 
I mean, <laughs> you say Paul Bunyan for whatever DB Cooper was coming to mind for me. <laughs> like we're just gonna we're just gonna hear things that may or may not have happened or be true or I I don't know. But yeah, interesting. Okay, yeah, yeah, well, that's I, Carl Edwards for you. I mean, re- it, it when, really we say, is. when we say weird, it's with some modicum of affection, right? I mean, yeah, that, that's that's the Carl Edwards experience. Yes. So episode ninety nine, uh, an unfulfilled story at points, but it is the Carl Edwards episode uh, of positive regression. And we hope to hear from you in the future, Carl. All right, let's get this started, David. It's our favorite time of year, at least early in the season. Uh, the peer scores are in. Uh, David Motorsports Analytics yourself uh, puts out the peer rankings every year. And before the season, you put out uh, what, what should be or what you assume the drivers will hit or the target range, if you will, their assumed peer on the year. But now that we have some data underneath us, the first peer scores are out. So let's talk about it. Let's start off at the top. I don't think anybody would be surprised, David, to say that uh, Denny Hamlin is the uh, top producer in the series right now. Is that correct? Yeah. We we, we know his uh, baseline stats, right? I mean, uh, eight top fives out of, what, nine races. No victories yet, but that doesn't really factor in. But uh, the, the points that he's scoring, the speed that he has, everything that he's doing, how does that factor in to him being the top driver right now? I mean, he's getting, he's getting results, right? It, they, they aren't wins. We've talked about that on our videos. There were, he's up to what, five races now with 50 or more points, seven with 48 or more points out of the first nine races. He's on this historic pace in a pretty interesting trajectory. Can it sustain? I think he's going to stumble at, at some point because this is just a long season. I also don't think he's going to go winless. He'll, he'll stockpile that stat column before, uh, before we even know it. But yes, age 40 season on pace. I don't think that any of this is a surprise. Uh, n- neither are the, the two trailing drivers. Martin Truex ranked second with two wins to his name. Joey Logano ranked third. With the Bristol Dirt win, but more so, uh, just a, a strong record for results, almost specifically at 750 tracks. Given their ages, Denny Hamlin in his age 40 season, Martin Truex in his age 41 season, no shock. 39 is the statistical peak. And the years after, you're on average less productive, but you're still pretty good. And these guys are figuring out how to succeed with Fast cars, even if maybe they are in some decline and we can't really tell, but so far so good. Uh, Joey Logano, the, the third member of that production podium was actually, uh, the only one of those three projected to finish the 36 race season inside the top three. I'm not sure that he gets proper credit for his production ability, but, uh, yeah, L- Logano, um, pretty good. Uh, so says, so says Pierre, so says his, uh, his win record. Yeah. And I just think of Denny, what he's doing right now, that lack of wins, it just, I think it takes away from what we should be appreciating what he's done in these first nine races. You know what I mean? If, it, if there was a win there, if, if there were two wins there, uh, just, I think perception would be kind of changed a lot. I mean, we heard him after the Richmond race, right? I mean, he was saying, I would rather be us right now than Alex Bowman. And when you look on paper, right, when you look at uh, like say a peer score or the production that he's putting out, I mean, he's absolutely right. Obviously you do want those victories. But what he's doing is astronomical right now. And I, but the lack of wins, I think for some takes away the, the appreciation factor to it. Yeah. No other driver has been in the hunt for the win in every race. Denny Hamlin has. And when he says he'd rather be him than Alex Bowman, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, no disrespect to Alex Bowman, but his opportunities for victories, judging by his own production ability and team trajectory is far less, as is the case with pretty much everyone when Denny Hamlin's having this tort of a start to the season. Uh, he said that he is smashing everyone right now. That is difficult to argue, given that he is the top producer in the sport with the fastest car, both uh, overall and on 750 horsepower tracks specifically. When we look at what Truex is doing, again, the baseline stats say he has two wins, but how he's doing it, is that important? How much of the factor does that put into how he's doing it in terms of production and what he's doing behind the wheel to to get the wins in these races where maybe they're not starting out so hot, but they're obviously finishing very strong? Yeah, this is 
sort of a new version of Truex. I think folks are used to seeing Martin Truex win races by now. I don't think that's coming as a shock, but it's the how, not the that he's winning, but 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 the how of it all. I mean, this was in the Colpern era, the destroyer of worlds of the 26 wins he had prior to 2020, 11 resulted uh, in wins after he led over 45% of the race. Those are ass kickings and those are absolutely <laughs> not the manner in which he's winning races uh, with crew chief James Small. Uh, it's been under the, uh, the 23% or so mark and he led 4% of the race at Martinsville. Uh, I recently wrote about this, I don't want to call it a phenomenon, but maybe a, a small statistical trend, uh, wrote about that for motorsportsanalytics.net earlier this week. And it's pretty interesting if you consider where they were at the beginning of the race in Phoenix, the 12th fastest car during the first stage, same at Martinsville, the sixth fastest car during the first stage. And the team was able to uh, thrash well enough, adjust on the car. And James Small was very quick after Martinsville to credit Martin Truex on the feedback that he was giving him in helping him diagnose what to do on the car. Now, those underlying setups that James Small created, those happen majority in the off season. Uh, certainly Phoenix, him and uh, an engineer, Jeff Curtis got together, focused on the Phoenix setup. It took a while without practice to find that balance in the middle of the race, but they got there and they pulled it off. And oh, by the way, these two wins came at arguably the most important tracks mm-hmm. for the 2021 NASCAR season. This, the, they are the hosts of races 35 and 36. So, these are meaningful victories. These are ones that we should ponder and consider as we move forward through the rest of the season. Um, how he won those races, they weren't obvious. They weren't outright. He did not dominate those races. He did just enough to make himself competitive by the the waning laps of the race to put himself in that position, and he took advantage of it. Uh, and in that article, I broke down uh, both the winning restart at Phoenix and the uh, the winning give and take. I'll call it. It was a very long pass encounter, lasted about seven or so laps against Denny Hamlin at Martinsville. Um, it was and it was pretty interesting. Different ways for winning both of those specific races which shows you that despite what we think of Martin Truex, the guy who seems to win only when there isn't chaos, actually a little bit more versatile than uh, maybe his reputation gives him credit. A different Martin Truex early on in this season. Not bad there. Good stuff. Uh, we, we talked about Logano, and as you said, his projection was high, right? We, we're not surprised he is a productive driver producing uh, on the track, but there is a uniqueness, it seems, to this season, at least so far. What did you see, David? Yeah, it's almost exclusively 750 horsepower tracks. And and I don't think that we're surprised based on what we know about Team Penske making an organizational pivot to just becoming the 750 specialist. But you you don't expect these guys just as good as, you know, Logano at least is in general to be this bad on 550 tracks. So here are the splits of his production rating on 750 tracks specifically. His peer is 6.928 and that ranks Whoa. first among all drivers. Yeah. On 550 tracks specifically, his peer is 0.340. That is the worst rating among drivers ranked inside the top eight. Overall wow. for Pierre, that is a little bit troubling. We've pointed to, I mean, one of your early season projections, predictions was that the passing numbers would go back to their 2019 high for Joey Logano. They dipped last year. They're, they're still low. They're still bad, especially on the 550 tracks. You know, I'm kind of scratching my head trying to figure out why that is, but uh, until those passing numbers go up, the results maybe stay bad. I mean, or, or at the very least, there's a low ceiling. You think that that would be better? There are still pivotal 550 races, certainly in the buildup 
to the championship race. I'm thinking Texas and Kansas. If they don't turn that part around, that could cause some jeopardy. So productive on one end of the schedule, better than than anybody else. And on the other end, a, a real curious struggle. Do you wonder if there's a swing to the mean on either side? Like, can, can he can he maintain that performance at 750 tracks? And can he maintain being as poor, if you will, on 550 tracks? I mean, is there a swing to the middle here? Uh, one, one regresses, one progresses. Yeah. I mean, I can see that because this is Joey Logano. Uh, Paul Wolf is a crew chief and it's tough to envision them being this lost in the weeds on some of the bigger tracks. Now I know one of the things affecting them is the relative statistical randomness of the correlations between speed and results on the 550 tracks that's going to be a problem, right? Those are the toss-up races, and we're going to talk about a, a couple of guys uh, here in a minute that, that those those tracks benefit. But the Penske strategy, almost across the board, regardless of the crew chief-driver combination over the past several years, has never been a strong suit. And you you like to think that when Penske made that pivot to becoming elite at 750 tracks, it's to lean into the things that they do well, but it's also to lean out of the things that they didn't do very well at all. If you're actually going to have a heavy R&D focus on 550 tracks, you better make sure that your strategy is on the up and up. And if it isn't, then you you, you might get clowned while just wasting a, a lot of uh, money and time and energy. And, uh, you know, in that sense, maybe, maybe they are going in the right direction, leaning into their strengths. Yeah. Still plenty of positives. So that, that's the top of the, the upper echelon, Hamlin, Truex, uh, Logano. Let's talk about some overachievers. Again, this is based a bit on projections, right? What we thought preseason and what they're actually doing now, nine races into the year. Uh, William Byron made your list, David. He is the most productive Hendrick driver. Uh, started off rough again, just topical stats here, but he is on a top 10 streak of seven races. And, and again, those are a lot of different kinds of tracks and different packages or what have you seven straight top tens at the moment. David, what stands out about William Byron and his uh, productivity as a driver? He ranks fifth in peer as a 23 year old, Ooh. you know, and, and, and we should never discount age when considering drivers. We, we we've talked about it before. Uh, you know, the age is, 18 to, to maybe 24 is the prospect wilderness and production from year to year is just volatile. We, we can't rely on it completely because that's just kind of how it is in, in a young adult's life. And certainly that seems to pan out on average for NASCAR drivers. But this year we are seeing William Byron put things together when we opened the season, season three of positive regression, we talked about the schedule falling in his favor, 750 tracks, road courses, these tracks that accentuate his ability. He's had success on 550 tracks too. He got the win at Homestead, which we, which we always posit is a driver's track. And William Byron spanked the field in that final stage. So in a sense, this is, very real given that Hendrick's cars are all fast, uh, at, at different, at different places. His seems to be uh, a more universal speed right now. The team ranks second in, uh, in median lap time and gosh, give Byron credit. I mean, of drivers under 30, only Kyle Larson ranks better. I don't think that's a surprise. Byron currently ranks ahead of Ryan Blaney, Chase Elliott, Christopher Bell. And I think that might have shocked a few people if you would have told them that that was going to happen coming into this year. Yeah, with a new crew chief and what have you. But, you know, it it just shows you that that matters. And uh, whether it's age, experience, a crew chief, or kind of telling people what you want and getting getting that crew chief relationship going, something is working over in the 24 camp. So that's cool to see. Another overachiever on your list, Austin Dillon, is a top 10 uh, in production, top 10 in peer score in the Cup Series right now. I would not have predicted that, David. A nice surprise. It is. Uh, and I'm actually going to point to something you did, uh, this past weekend here as, as you were wont to do. You, you pointed out on Twitter that there are still five road course races left mm-hmm. in the regular season, six total, including the, the Roval playoff race. Austin Dillon 
in 16 career road course starts at the Cup Series level has zero top 15 finishes. Not good. How, how does this impact his current peer? You, he ranks 10th right now. As you pointed out, it is a deserving 10th. Bravo. It, it, it really was a good start to the season. I'm going to go out on a limb, though, and suggest that he does not finish the season ranked in this spot in part because simply the schedule doesn't favor him. Uh, even with the Richmond finish last weekend, his peer splits skew towards the 550 tracks. His peer is a 3.938 on 550 tracks specifically and a 0.5 on the 750 horsepower tracks. And this makes sense. He finished third in the Daytona 500. He finished sixth at Atlanta. Both of those are 550 tracks. There's another such track coming this weekend in Talladega. That could prove beneficial unless we forget Dylan was a winner in the Daytona dual qualifying uh, races this year. So before the road course races start littering the schedule, he's, he's going to have to make some hay on these tracks that suit him best, potentially to, to pad his points for, you know, uh, what is very likely to be a, a close playoff cutoff. Yeah. And look, he's proven he can win before they, they can strategize and he's obviously upping his production so he can, uh, will his way to victory, if you will, on the track, but, uh, potential win there. But as you said, the, that bubble line, uh, maybe where he factors in the most and, uh, better, better get it done soon. Um, Austin Dillon, uh, next up, Michael McDowell ranks 11th right now. David, he won the Daytona 500, but his, his production, his, Hey, is that Michael McDowell in the top 10, if you will? Like that, it didn't stop there, right? It didn't stop in Daytona. Uh, especially what I, I assume when you factor in Pierre, you know, the car he has and the finishes he's getting with it. Is that what factors into Michael McDowell being so high on the list right now? Yeah. And, and, and the speed has, has gotten worse over the last few races. I will, I will say this is a great story, but regression most likely is forthcoming. Um, I mean, it, it kind of already has happened. His results have dipped as well. Uh, his plus 28.9% top 15 efficiency is big. It suggests that he is overachieving, uh, almost to an unsustainable position right now. For those that don't know what top 15 efficiency measures, McDowell has finished inside the top 15 in 44% of his starts. He's run inside the top 15 for 15.5% of his laps. Wow. And that, that is a wide gap that, that is likely to close, which means he, he either runs better and, and that's just very difficult to see right now, or those finishes become a little bit more commensurate to his car's ability. There's only so much a driver can do. And, and so far he's done a lot. He's in the playoffs. Thanks to the Daytona 500 win. And, uh, you know, Homestead was a good showing, yep, and arguably a, yeah. a good start to the season. And it, it, he may very well ride this to the playoffs, but I, I don't see, just based on what we're seeing from his car during a race, I don't see how these results or this production rating can sustain for a 36 race season. Yeah, interesting, but that's where he is right now, and he is in the playoffs, so uh, there is, whether it be pressure or what have you, there, that that isn't there to make the playoffs, so maybe they can improve on something by the time the playoffs come around and start. Uh, those were some overachievers early on in the season. Let's talk about the underachievers, David. Uh, I think uh, t- at Team Penske, right? We talked about Joey Logano, one of the top producers. Ryan Blaney certainly having a year with his victory. Uh, I think what Atlanta, obviously, and some speed there. But Brad Keselowski, the only Penske car without a victory so far, uh, coming off a pretty risky pit call at Richmond. We did a whole episode about pit calls uh, not too long ago, and I don't know if you want to hot take this one, David, but may, I don't think you make that pit call, right? You don't, you don't, you don't stay out on those long tires if if you believe you have winning speed, right? You're doing that to hopefully catch a break and, and I don't know, the strategy works out in your favor if you get lucky. Uh, you know, if you had winning speed that day, I don't think you're making that call. Um, so what's going on with the two crew? <laughs> okay. Well, let's talk about the call. This doesn't actually <laughs> impact his peer as much as you think it will, but I think it's worth talking about. He dropped from fourth to 16th Ooh. on that pit cycle with Jeremy Bullins's uh no stop gamble and 
for for that race, and I was able to analyze it earlier today, there was some Bullens giveth, Bullens taketh to all of that. They netted out negative six on the day. They scored a lot of track position by long pitting that first stop. They got the caution flag, and they held that positioning until the next round of green flag stops. And that's pretty good. But Bullens did get greedy. He doubled down on what previously worked. And I, I, I do kind of understand maybe why. Uh, the car with Keselowski driving ranked 14th in median lap time wow. at Richmond. And no, that isn't competitive for the win. And it's a little bit shocking, certainly not at all what we were expecting from that team based on what we saw from them last year on these kinds of racetracks. So that was a little bit jarring. I, I think that's sort of what really separated a lot of folks from that call was thinking that Brad had a car. He certainly had track position. I'm not sure that he had as competitive of, of a car as that track position would have led you to believe that probably instigated the call. It was still a bad call nonetheless. But as for Keslowski's peer, right now he ranks 13th uh, with a 1.889. He was projected for a 2.922. And I think the real difference here was the start to the season, the crashing. That That's the thing that was within his control. He had one crash in the Daytona 500. He had three at the Daytona road course race. He had one in the Bristol dirt race. He had three more at Martinsville. That adds up to eight, and that is the highest tally in the series right now. Wow. Um, he had an eighth-place run going at Homestead. Penske sort of forfeited that by stopping for tires in the middle of that final run to the finish, and it didn't pan out. Keselowski finished eight spots worse than he probably would have. The the call itself, he's not penalized by that, but it removes a possibility of a good finish from the table. Ultimately, I don't think he ends the season this low in pier, but to understand how it got there, there, there was a lot of negative input from the driver. I mean, the Daytona road course race was not a good look for him. Uh, the Daytona 500 ended worse than it was certainly going. I actually thought his strategy in that race was pretty good. And we'll talk about that in the, in the, in our Talladega segment, but, but none of this has panned out. Uh, he's had good runs. His last few races, Martinsville and Richmond had, uh, positive surplus passing values. He's doing a lot of things well. They just aren't manifesting in results. And no, while we're at it, the team isn't necessarily helping them uh, to get those results. Gotcha. All right. Next on the list of uh, unfortunate underachievers, Matt DiBendetto, Penske affiliate, Wood Brothers over there. D- David, this, I mean, it doesn't surprise me, but I, I will say, look, he had a terrible start to the year. He was 35th in points after race three. And now all of a sudden he is up to 18th. I had him on Sirius XM NASCAR radio. We were doing the show. He was a guest. He chimes in every week. And even he said he didn't believe there was a points path to the playoff. And this was a few weeks ago. And now he's found himself up to 18th in points. So, I mean, that's something of a rebound after a just terrible, terrible start. But his peer where I guess was expected to be and where it is right now, it's just not there. What's going wrong with the 21? So yeah, uh, well, we'll backtrack. He scored a, a 0.986 peer last season. This was supposed to be kind of a big year for him. His projection was a 1.410. That would have been a big leap uh, into something, uh, may, maybe just another competitive tier. He's currently at a 0.639. That is heading in the opposite direction, uh, a considerable drop from what he did last year. The restart numbers are kind of down. They aren't bad. He's still a top 15 guy, but he was a top seven restarter last year. And any kind of, of dip, I mean, I mean, if there's just a, a small form of regression at the top of the field, it's a big deal. And that's what he's experiencing right now. Uh, in terms of long run passing, he's pretty much par. Uh, for passing on, on the whole, but, um, that's not really assisting and making a team that's probably slower than it should be better than it is. Uh, and, and then the, the Greg Irwin of it all, uh, one of your preseason picks to turn it around. He's oh, on your fantasy team, correct? I know. Right? Oh, yeah. So it's, it's been tough 
in spots. Uh, I actually think they did have a, a positive net at, at Richmond on green flag pit cycles, but you, you want a crew chief to supplement something that a driver is or isn't doing well, uh, and it's just not there yet. Uh, they rank 17th in median lap time. You said he's 18th in points. I think it's all manageable, but you would expect more from a de facto Penske team, uh, a decent driver with good peripheral stats and a crew chief that Penske anointed in this position. And given the early season parity, this is not exactly a beneficial standing. It's been a great comeback, but it, it is tough to see uh, a point padding pathway to the playoffs. That's a lot of alliteration there. And you nailed it. Oh, by the way, <laughs> we have to bring this up. De Benedetto jobless going into 2022. Yeah. So this is not ideal for landing a new Cup Series gig because uh, those those jobs are going to be uh, soon handed out uh, here as we uh, get late spring, early summer. We'll be hearing some of that. Oh, we're already looking at silly season. How about that? Uh, David, to finish this off, uh, let's talk about the rookies, Chase Briscoe and Anthony Alfredo. Uh, I never know how to judge rookies, so that's why I, I value your input so much, obviously. Uh, Chase Briscoe, kind of all of Stuart Haas, right? Just not where it should be. Uh, very underwhelming the first nine races of the season, and the 14 team is something a part of that. Uh, you know, I, I look in and, and follow Chase Briscoe and, and his updates and everything and just you know, there are moments of optimism, it seems, in races, and then they'll make either a rookie mistake or just a, a non, a mistake that has nothing to do with him, a team mistake, and kind of take him out. And I just wonder how you assess how the rookies are doing so far, one quarter of the way into their season. I think they're dealing with their new reality, is, is what that is. That, that two week stretch from the Daytona 500 to the Daytona road course race was interesting for Chase Briscoe on Twitter. Uh, one week he's <laughs> going to Panda Express. During the Daytona 500, the next week is the road course race. Uh, and the first thing he tweets after it's over is the cup series is no joke. <laughs> and look, it's a tough assimilation process. And given that neither of these guys really were done any favors by NASCAR regulating cup driver participation in the Xfinity series, Briscoe was you know, he won nine races, but it was against drivers largely younger than him with less experience. Now that is very clearly no longer the case. Uh, there's a good team behind him. Sure. And, and the team is uh, potentially having their own struggles, but Briscoe is a little bit lost right now. And I don't think that that's necessarily Bad or surprising. Uh, I, I think it's going to be interesting to understand how he reacts to just having bad times and bad cars. And the catch up will be, uh, what comes from his learning process of it all. Right now, he's sort of getting his feet wet against competition far better than he is, but he's also learning a lot in how he applies what he's learning towards the second half of this year because let's face it, he's probably not going to make the playoffs. So that, that final 10 race stretch where we'll say maybe the pressure's off. I think that could be actually a very valuable 10 race stretch for him. Even if we're sunsetting this current car after this year and he's going into something else, he's going to get used to his competition and the procedures and what a cup race is like. This is his first time in 500 mile races. It's all a big change for him and what we're seeing in their peer Briscoe right now a negative 0.44 rating. That is culture shock on a spreadsheet. That That's how you can read that. Um, same with Anthony Alfredo, who I'm, I'm really starting to feel a little bit bad. I wonder what goal internally Front Row Motorsports has for him uh, because – we're talking about a driver who never really succeeded in any one series. He did not run a full season of Xfinity or trucks, and he has been thrust upon the Cup Series in, uh, wow, a, a really weirdly competitive season. Everyone's, everyone's pretty good, or at least can bring something of, uh, of substance to a racetrack, and he's with an underfunded team. Um, learning all of this kind of on the fly and that, that negative rating is, um, is tough. Uh, for him, I, I don't know if this is going to drown him or, like for Briscoe, potentially 
be kind of the the blueprint for how he learns and improves moving forward. He's going to very quickly know if he doesn't already what he does well and doesn't do well. It's not the end times for him, but certainly I, I do not think he his head is above water right now. That much is clear in his in his production rating. I love what you said about the culture shock because we always hear it, right? We always hear the cliche, the the furthest walk in racing is between Xfinity and the Cup Series. But to hear it reiterated by some of these guys, like Chase Briscoe a few weeks ago, it was so clear and descriptive in how tough it is to be a rookie out there. Just saying he races harder for 20th than he did, than he is in the occasional that he gets in the top 10 in one of these cup races, only because everyone is fighting so hard for every one of those positions. And just to hear him articulate it like that, how tough it is, especially compared to what he was racing, I understand where, where those growing pains are. It's just a matter of what they can do to grow out of them, David. The Cup Series guys are just so freaking good. They are so, so talented uh look no further than the the low caution volume on the richmond short track in recent years that befuddles fans but it's with good reason it's because these drivers really know what they're doing and when drivers are this talented and they know what they're doing it's hard for a little squirrel to get a nut right and right now briscoe is just trying to look for anything that he can get his hands on you know a, a pass encounter against a driver running inside the top 20 is probably a really big deal for him. He, he didn't have to do hardly any of that running out front last year in a Stuart Haas car in the Xfinity series. It is much different now. And it, again, like I said about Alfredo, this isn't the end times. This isn't going to be who he is three years from now, five years from now. And, and, you know, if he's, if he's fortunate 10 years from now, but how he comes out of this will shape that next iteration. Um, so it's important that he goes through this. There, we, we talked about it a few episodes ago. There is no series higher than Xfinity. There's no quote unquote quadruple A. So it's trial by fire, man. And, and right now, right now he's getting burned quite a bit, but I think he can come out on the other side of it, a far better driver with uh, certainly an appreciation, but also an understanding of what it takes to succeed at the cup series level. Good stuff. Good discussion. First peer rankings are out. Make sure you check them out at motorsportsanalytics.com. We will keep you updated, though, as the season progresses and as things change. When your business is starting its championship run, nothing matters more than finding and hiring the best team. With Indeed, you have the power to build a dynasty by hiring more MVPs faster. Start hiring right now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through March 31st. If you're hiring, you need Indeed because Indeed is the hiring partner where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. And Indeed is the only job site where you're guaranteed to find quality applicants that meet your must-have requirements or else you don't pay. Go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire to claim your $75 credit before March 31st. No matter how the last game went, anytime you take the field, you got a shot at greatness. Give your team the best shot at winning by recruiting more MVPs with Indeed. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. David, let's preview Talladega, baby. Uh, I love going to Talladega. It is one of my favorite. It is the most NASCAR place in all of NASCAR. I encourage everyone to go there at least once in your sports uh, lifetime. And David, one thing we always talk about at these drafting tracks, obviously, is the big one, the big crash. We saw it at Daytona. We saw it a few times at Daytona. We saw it early at Daytona. We saw it at the front of the field at Daytona. And that's something we're going to talk about here because uh, this is something we've covered a few times, but the data always changes and it's always fun to reiterate and tell you about what the data says about crashes at these drafting tracks at a place like Talladega. David, update it for us. What can we look toward when we think about Sunday's race? Ah, the updated crash data. Love to talk about it. Uh, there have been 35 accidents consisting of four or more cars at Talladega from 2013 to the 2020 fall race last year. 17th place was caught in over 45% Ooh. of those accidents. That was the highest 
frequency among all running positions. Other hot spots, uh, we'll call it, include 12th and 13th places at nearly 43% and 15th and 18th places at over 37%. <laughs> Alan. I'm seeing I'm not, a pattern. <laughs> I'm not a genius, but that's all in the same general area. 12th to 18th is no man's land, more so than uh, any other running whereabouts in the field. And th- there isn't... There isn't one position that has an outlier trend going for it in recent races. Uh, I noticed the 12th place over the last two years was included in five crashes out of a possible 11, but that's the most. There, there isn't a cluster to point to this weekend as, uh, as an emerging trend, but I think we have an idea of where crashes are most likely to originate. All right, so we know where they're going to happen. Let's talk about the, the statistically the safest places to run. David, not everyone has the luxury of just choosing to run up front, right? So I don't want to pose it that way. Like, oh, I'll just run up front all day. But but some teams do. But everyone has the luxury of choosing to be in back, right? To hang back if they want to. Uh, how do you how do you see that kind of approach? Do you see that as the plan going in teams should make, or is it something they, they should do on the fly? If they, if they're hovering around that 12th place spot, should they immediately just put the parachute? Uh, How do you view that in terms of the safe place to run? Yeah, that's a good question. I I mean, clearly the safest place uh, to run is, is the rear of the field. and, And the stats bear that out from 32nd to 40th. There is not a running position included in more than 10% of the accidents uh, since 2013. And that that is influenced by cars that are out of the race. If they're out of the race, stuck in those positions, those positions don't get in crashes. I will grant you that. But the philosophy of hanging back holds water because it is a slow progression from there to uh, the big inclusion rates. Between f- uh, 25th and 31st, only two spots have inclusion rates higher than 13.5%, and that would be 26th and 28th. But if you don't want to make the show boring, you, you, you said running out front, it does have its merits. Uh, I mean, you're under fire, you know, granted that, but first place is kind of safe, uh, an inclusion rate of 8.57%. Over, uh, over the, the, the period of this study. The difficult part about that is the getting there. If you're starting there at the beginning of the race, it's helpful to, to fend off all comers if you have the car. Um, but if you're not in that position, that means you have to traverse through the middle of the field and that 12th to 18th landmine. And that's tough. That's tough to navigate. I mean, you can, you can strategize around it. You can, you can certainly risk it, but yeah, that's that's not easy sledding. Um, positions one through four see no inclusion rate higher than twenty three percent. So, if you have that track position, you you need to do everything in your power to keep it. If you don't have it, and the chances of getting there look very slim, then riding around in the back is probably the choice strategy. I'm just wondering, does anyone pop off the page in terms of drivers who would choose one strategy over the other? I think of, you know, Joey Logano, certainly his reputation for trying to defend a position or two. If he were to get out front, I'm sure he would do all he could to stay up there. But we've also seen Toyotas, uh, you know, Truex in the past, a lot of drivers in the past, uh, parachute right to the back. So does anyone jump off the page as one strategy or the other? Well, I mean, Denny Hamlin and Martin Truex, uh, they were, they were in the process of doing this early. In the Daytona 500, this was before the the rain delay. So is Brad Keselowski, and and Keselowski has openly talked about the inevitability of crashing out of these races. Uh, Ryan Newman has a knack for not mixing it up when he does not have to, but for the most part, I think this is a strategy that works best as an organization wide. Endeavor, and it kind of needs to be to ensure that these cars don't go a lap down because a single car cannot do this on its own. Uh, Denny Hamlin led a lot of the Daytona 500, but that was only after half the field had been crashed out. It was after the rain delay. A lot of risk was mitigated when they restarted the race at night, 
And that's when his plan changed. They, they called the audible. So that's, that's kind of what I think here. Joe Gibbs racing, they'll have good starting spots, but do keep an eye on the initial start. If they don't just drop anchor, certainly if it's dicey early on, I think they want to backtrack out of it. We've had Denny Hamlin on the show before talking about how they don't really focus on stage points at, at drafting tracks. They don't need to. They can get them elsewhere. I wouldn't be surprised if they do this. I don't know for sure whether they will, but based on history, I would not be surprised. All right. Well, that leads us to our favorite time of every episode, David. Who are we picking to win? We almost had it last week. We both picked Denny Hamlin last week, so I'll let you go first. Who is your pick to win Talladega? Uh, I'm, I'm going to go maybe a, a little bit of a long shot and say Eric Almarola. Hmm. Wow. Best, yeah. best average finish and scorer of the third most points across the last six Talladega races, five finishes of ninth or better. And we have already probably lost sight of how good he was and his car was in Daytona. He won his dual qualifying race. Uh, but he was one of the key instigators in that early crash during the 500. I think he has a chance to redeem himself here. Uh, he brings the bacon money to Stuart Haas Racing. He occasionally wins races on drafting tracks. This is this is part of his function, being with a team this good. And he does tend to fare well on this racetrack. So this would be a huge moment for him and what's been a rough start to the season. But I, I think this trend continues and at the very least he is popping near the front of the field at some point during the day. Going out on a limb. I like it first uh, for the win, Eric Almarola. David, I'm going to be boring and I'm just going to go with Denny Hamlin again, because why not? I learned from you. He has the, the fastest car, best performer, right? Most productive and peer. And let's face it. He's Denny Hamlin at a drafting track. He's the best drafting racer out there right now. And David, if you want to go just a little deeper, if it's not obvious enough why I'm picking Denny Hamlin, uh, just looking back, the, I mean, the only two drivers with lead lap finishes in the last four drafting races, like Taydona and Talladega, are Denny Hamlin and Kevin Harvick. So they have to be there at the end, right, for me to pick them. And they're proving, those two drivers, Harvick and Hamlin, have proven, at least recently, they can at least be there at the end. And uh, just another reason why I would pick Denny Hamlin. For the win to get win number one. And I'm pretty sure he won there last time we were at Talladega. So I'm just going to have him repeat it again. Uh, our contrarian performers, David, who, uh, who might make some noise at a, at maybe out of nowhere, so a driver you're not expecting. I think Eric Almarola could have qualified for a contrarian performer. So I give you credit. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. I'm, I'm making a little bit interesting here. Uh, I'm going to pick a driver who ranked seventh in median lap time during the Daytona 500 and second in best lap time, does, it, does, does that interest you? It does. Maybe we have the same driver. It's Bubba Wallace. Yes, Bubba Wallace. <laughs> part, part of the Toyota camp. I can envision him riding around in the back with the JGR cars, lasting until the finish. The race is about survival. I I, I can't argue that, but Wallace proved. Uh, that he had some quantifiably good speed during this year's Daytona 500, kind of kind of the case with all those those JGR cars. I, I think he'll be a factor. He he said last spring that he felt he should have won that race. Let's put it to the test. Let let's go get that finish that he didn't get at Daytona with a car that on paper was incredibly fast. Yeah, and he did survive that race. If you if you forget what happened, I mean, it was a, it was a pit road issue, and they just never got a caution uh, to get him back on the lead lap. So he finished, and he was right there. And he was as he, as the speed chart show, he was quite quite fast. He just wasn't at the track position to be able to contend for any more passes. So that that took him out of the stat sheet, if we will. But yeah, I'm picking Bubba for those same reasons. How fast he was in Daytona, uh, seventh in points scored over the last four drafting races. So again, another driver who can be there at the finish has some prowess, some skill. And frankly, David, he needs it because um, I, I didn't check where he was at the initial peer scores this year. I don't know if you can drum that up uh, quickly after the first nine races, but it doesn't appear like any win is coming any other track, if you will. You know what I mean? Like they need a victory. Uh, they're on that precipice of trying to point their way in. If a victory is going to come, I think the best opportunity may just be 
a Daytona or a Talladega. So they need it. So that's why I'm going to pick Bubba as a contrarian performer because they got to step it up where they, uh, where they have the opportunity. And this is one of those weekends. You're, you're spot on. Uh, he ranks 34th right now in Pierre. And Holy, honestly, are you serious? Yeah. And that is Holy. in line with his projection. Uh, because remember those first two seasons, the projection is based on a driver's history. The first two years with RPM were particularly brutal. So it, history does him no favors in this regard, but he, Look, we, we, we've talked about the car's speed. It is a, it, the, the proxy was Levine family racing. And so far it's living up to that belief. Yes. Based on the early season parody, I think he has to win. There is no point padding. We've, we've said that that's the logic behind, uh, certainly Mike Wheeler's polarizing pit call at Phoenix, but here, yeah, he, he has to make it happen. So that's why I think being a part of this Toyota grouping and, Historically, they work very well together uh, on these tracks. I know that plans go awry as a race gets deeper uh, in, in, into the lap count, but th- th- this is this is kind of it. Uh, if they're going to do it this year, and, and again, this is the toss-up year going into the Gen 7 season where 2311 is probably more focused anyway – He's he's going to have to make it happen here or Daytona uh, towards the end of the season, but this is the next opportunity. And based on the speed that we saw in Daytona, this is a real opportunity. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I want to see what he does with it. Well, so we will see. Uh, but we both have the same contrarian performer. That always makes me feel good. So, uh, David, that has been episode 99 of Positive Regression. And with that, we have a really cool tease for our 100th episode. First of all, David, congratulations. Thank you for roping me into this project. I'll give you a little more accolade next week. But that will be our 100th episode. That's crazy to think about. And because of that, we will record live. On Wednesday night, April 28th at 8.30 p.m. Eastern on the Pause Reg Pod YouTube page. If you remember, we did something similar before the championship race last year. Went live, had some good interaction, had a good chat going. So that will be fun. David, we have some good stuff planned. A part of that is we will have our first inductions into the Pause Reg Pod or Positive Regression Hall of Fame. So that will be fun. We'll do that next week. And uh, we'll also have uh, the, the normal elements of our show, including our Kansas race preview. And then after, after we record the show, we will answer your questions. So again, join us next Wednesday night, April 28th, 8.30 p.m. Eastern on the Pause Reg Pod YouTube page because we will do it live and we will do it with y'all. Pretty cool, David. Yes, it'll be a lot of fun. I look forward to seeing you uh, wear your tuxedo a la broadcaster at WrestleMania. I, I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm so anxious to see what you, what you come bringing. Oh yeah. You only get one 100th episode. So we got to go big, David. <laughs> Deal. All right. We, we like round numbers. So yes. Yeah. There you go. All right. We look forward to that. Do not forget all our episodes, all our 99 episodes are available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Luminary, TuneIn, and YouTube. We're available no matter your device. Our entire back catalog of episodes is available for free at posregpod.com. If you like what you're hearing, please leave us a rating or a review. That stuff helps spread the word. We always notice it is so appreciated. The word of mouth, telling your friends on Twitter, all that stuff, it really does help this podcast. If you have any questions, we'd love to hear them. Reach out to us on Twitter at posregpod, P-O-S-R-E-G-P-O-D. And as we said, we'll be answering your questions after next week's show if you join us live. David, you're always working hard. What are you working on this week? I am working hard. Uh, that is uh, journalism in the year 2021. Uh, I tell you what, I've got quite a bit going on this week. I've got an article on motorsports analytics. I've got two more at NBC Sports. I'm working on a little something for Forbes. I'm going to make it easy for everyone. Shoot me an email at motorsportsanalytics at gmail.com. I will add you to my mailing list. It's completely free. I will not spam your inbox. But as you know, I have a lot of gigs and it can be confusing to you. I respect that. I just want to email you the articles. I just want you to read them. How about that? Let's just, let's just do that. Motorsports analytics at 
gmail.com this week and you'll just get everything to your inbox. You don't have to click anything. There you go. Oh, awesome. Read it with your morning coffee. Nice and easy. Uh, David, just keep, uh, keep looking at checking out my social media channels. What? Alan Kavana on Twitter, uh, YouTube page, all that stuff. Got some good stuff cooking with, of course, NASCAR.com and the fantasy live show that we do. David, we have added the roll cage to the fantasy live show and the roll cage is just a bingo ball machine that tries to pick a better lineup than, uh, my expertise or Amy Long's expertise could possibly pick. And uh, we're having a lot of fun with it because sometimes it shoots out a, a lineup that, and when it outdoes us, we have some fun. So make sure you watch this weekend edition of Fantasy Live. I'll post that. Got some good stuff coming up for Speed Sport over the next few weeks. So make sure you, uh, yeah, just keep up with it. And I'll make sure you all know about it. So again, thank you for listening. This has been episode 99 of Positive Regression. We are looking forward to next week. We are looking forward to this weekend at Talladega. So make sure you just have a great weekend. For David Smith, I'm Alan Kavana. Have a great weekend, everyone. Finding the right person for the job isn't easy. Just ask someone who hired a lounge singer to be their office receptionist. Hello, this is Mickey Marquis, and you've reached the office of Doug and Associates. <laughs> Thank you very much. Catch me Tuesday nights at the Hotel Johnson. Hello? But if you've got an insurance question, you can always count on your local GEICO agent. They can bundle your policies, which could save you hundreds. Doug and Associates, this is Mickey Marquis. Hello? For expert help with all your insurance needs, visit geico.com slash local today.